Marie, host of the Building Abundance Success Series. Our spotlight tonight is on emotional intelligence. My guest, Dr. Diane Hamilton. She is an award-winning speaker, nationally syndicated radio host of the show Take the Lead on iHeartRadio, and her passion is to help us improve interpersonal communication, whether it be for personal relationships, our business, leadership and sales, marketing, management, you name it, communication is so important. You can find out more about Diane on her website, drdianehamilton.com. Diane and I are coming at you right now. Dr. Diane Hamilton, welcome. Well, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Sabrina Marie. I'm looking forward to this. Thank you so much. I remember being on your show not too long ago. I know we're going to have a good time today talking a little bit about your background in emotional intelligence. Tell the audience who you are, where you're from, and a little bit about uh, your background. Well, I have kind of a diverse uh, background of the different variety of things I've done throughout my career. Emotional intelligence came quite a bit later. Uh, but right now, I am a nationally syndicated radio show host, a consultant, an author, and a speaker. Do a lot of the kind of the same things that you do, which is fun because we have a lot to chat about when we get together. And uh, where were you born? I was born in Phoenix, Arizona, and I still live in the same basic area. I can almost walk to wow. my Wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't get too far. Uh, it's very beautiful here, but uh, especially now that the summer's over. But uh, I was born and raised here, and yeah. actually went to Arizona State University. Got my degree in business management, and went on and later followed up. Ended up getting a master's and a PhD throughout the years. Took breaks between each one of those degrees and uh, experienced the working world, and then kept wanting to go back for more. Now, what was it you wanted to do when you actually got out of high school into your college years? What was your first pick in terms of, uh, you know, career direction? Well, you know, it's funny. When I was in high school, uh, I remember the first class I took in uh, typing class, I just was immediately taken with typing. I was so fast and good at that particular thing that I think, oh, this is great. I love typing. I want to take all the business courses they had just because I thought everything was going to be like that, you know, that I would like it. And I did like it. And I, it was a natural um, thing that came to me that just this was uh, where I wanted to go. So when I graduated, which I actually graduated early, I got out of school early and went um, into business right off the bat. I'm one of the few people I know who didn't change their degree. I think I just kind of, maybe I wanted to be the boss. I don't know. I thought management sounds like you're the boss, right? So <laughs> I'm going to business. Right. And uh, it was, uh, I never changed my degree. I, I always wanted that. And actually, all of my degrees are business management. Wow. In terms of business management and um, getting into the whole emotional um, IQ, I know by age six we form different um, mindsets and patterns and perceptions and beliefs, basically just by looking at the environment around us. How important is that part of development from childhood through adult of the environment and really what's around you that, you know, uh, shapes your emotional IQ? 
Well, you know, the emotional intelligence was such a fascinating thing that I just kind of fell into studying um, when I was writing my doctoral mm-hmm. dissertation. I, I was looking at uh, things that impact sales performance, and I didn't thought, well, what can I correlate with that? And I just stumbled into Daniel Goldman's book he had written in 95 um, and some of his work, and it, it just kind of one thing led to the other, and I became certified to do emotional intelligence training and that type of thing because I wrote my dissertation on it. But Emotional intelligence is such an important factor that I, I've done a lot of other work. I work on a board of advisors uh, for a company called LeaderKit Academy where they teach emotional intelligence and other skills to K-12 through 12, uh, age groups because you're not really getting a lot of that training in the younger uh, school right. system, you know, curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I look at it across all levels. It's not, not just important in, in the young kids. It's, it, at any time, you can continue to develop emotional intelligence. So even at all ages, which is really important in the work working world because a lot of people are fired for their behaviors. They, they lack certain interpersonal skills, you know, a lot of the things that fall under the heading of emotional intelligence, like interpersonal skills and empathy and those types of things. So, it's really important to develop it in your kids if for some reason you didn't do that. The good news is you have a chance to help them at any age. And uh, it, it's, it ties into, you know, a lot of things in our environment impact not just emotional intelligence, but in my research on curiosity. If you look at kids, they're very curious when they're little. They're why, why, why to everything? And then around, you know, mm-hmm. between four and six, you start seeing that it decreases. And as they get into the school years and, you know, you're seeing more impact that maybe teachers don't have time to, to focus on every single interest that a student has because they have to teach certain curriculum or certain things. And our yeah, natural sense of curiosity. That point impact. right there, that one is uh-huh. right to so our, our, our listeners can understand. People learn in different ways, many right. different ways. Um, some people are visual learners. You know, they learn, you know, basically by what they see. That's what we're doing between ages one and and six, but then again, mm-hmm. the physical learning is by doing, and then the oral, which people uh, they name it other things with rhythm, mm-hmm. nursery rhymes, jingles, and chants. We hear that with commercials. <laughs> That's uh-huh. how some people learn: um, uh-huh. verbal, speech, and writing, uh, logical mm-hmm. reasoning. You're reasoning things out. Socials, learning in groups. Some people love to learn in groups. Some kids, and you know, from childhood, we, we are taught to learn. In groups, but then there's solitary learning, which is very much ignored. Some people just want to learn on their own. They they do want to do the self study, and all six of those. Um, it's interesting what we're talking about uh, emotional intelligence. When you are in the computer age, you're getting all six of these. But in the traditional learning model that many of us had, that was not possible. Can you speak to that? Those six. Well, because those, those are how people are learning, and that's why the internet has really exploded. You can learn all six of those. You can learn, yeah, I, anything on the yeah. internet. That's <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've taught, like, a, you know, at more than a thousand business courses, and I, a lot of them, they have them take maybe the VARC or other assessments, as you mentioned, like visual, auditory, kinesthetic, you know, reading, uh, different ways that people like to receive their, their information. Um, and I, I think that. It's a challenge sometimes in online courses to reach everybody, you know, in, in every different way. And I've seen a lot more of the courses offered in multiple formats. Like, and originally it may have just had an audio clip. or And right. then now I see the audio clips are now transcribed, so you can read it if you don't want to listen to it. 
And, um, you know, and actually I did that with my own blog, my own radio show. It's not just audio. It's a, a blog as well. So you can read it because I think sometimes people don't want to just listen. Some people want to read. Some people want to see. Sometimes I have YouTube, you know. I, I think that it's the same thing in education that they're starting to, I mean, they have for a long time seen the importance of this, but I, I think you're seeing that with the Internet, you can incorporate so many different uh, ways to teach people in these courses. And I've developed a lot of courses when I ran, ran the MBA program at Forbes School of Business. I was, you know, as the program chair, I had to look at, you know, what's going to be the best way for everybody to learn certain skills. And for me, developing soft skills was critical to me. And if we weren't Mm-hmm. developing them um, by, through, you know, if we weren't reaching them in the way they wanted to be reached, that was going to be problematic for them to develop them. So we looked at different What are forms. soft skills? What are soft What's skills that? for our audience who may not understand what that is? Well, soft skills, as compared to hard skills, hard skills would be like you understand how to do accounting. So that's a skill. You, you've learned how to do a specific task. That, that would be your hard skill. But how you get along with people, your interpersonal skills, things like that, those are soft skills. They're a little harder to define. They're a little squishier things. You know, and emotional intelligence would fall into that kind of an area where you're, you're developing. It's more behaviors and where hard skills are, are more your, your abilities and what you've learned maybe in uh, terms of doing, being able to do math or, or be able to type. Those are all hard skills. So people are often hired for their hard skills, or, uh, but they're fired for their soft skills or their behaviors. And so you can teach people hard skills pretty simple, you know, easily in training programs. But if they don't have the soft skills and you don't have programs set up for that, uh, that's when you're going to have a lot of problems in the workplace. Wow. In terms of curiosity, you mentioned um, in childhood, you know, curiosity is just one of those natural things. Do you feel that the current learning systems majority current learning systems kind of conform people to where they just throw their hands up in the air and figure, why do I need to be curious? I'm going to be told what to do anyway. You know, it's it's interesting because I did look at the four things that inhibit curiosity, and it it came out with the acronym of FATE, F-A-T-E, and that was fear, assumptions, technology, and environment. And some of the educational system would fall into, you know, some of these things overlap, but the environment could definitely be the educational system, you know, and a lot of teachers are have, are forced to teach to the test, right? There's there's that problem. Mm-hmm. Or you might have right. uh, a lot of problems with just, you know, other students taking up time because you, you have different, you know, levels of education within the same room. And, you know, you it, it has caused some issues with some people, maybe they were interested in, in a topic, but they never could develop that interest because the teacher didn't have time or the parents didn't have time or your friends thought it wasn't cool or, you know, there's so many environmental factors that you look at. And I I, I think it was interesting how fear was, uh, uh, you know, impacted all kinds of areas. And, you know, you might not want to look dumb in class by asking a question. You might not want, you know, same thing now in the workplace. You know, you, you maybe were shot down for asking certain things or, or proposing certain ideas, that it, it can impact your, your level of curiosity or your ability to want to innovate because, to me, you know, if you're looked at in the past, uh, you know, as somebody that didn't offer value, you've got that in your head. You've assumed, well, I'm not going to, you know, no 
good deed goes unpunished, I'm not going to offer anything else, you know. And so that's that's the problem that we saw. You know, you see it in education, you see it in the workplace, and that was one thing I was trying to address in my most recent research on curiosity. Traditions, traditions. I've heard, um, I'm sure you've heard, people are too old to go back to college or people are too married to have a certain interest in a particular topic or mm-hmm. want to go and learn jet skiing or whatever. Traditions kind of fit into the fear model, right? What you're talking about, it, fear, whatever it can, you I think. think yeah, I think it kind of goes into environment um, as well. You know, Religion, you have, religion too. It could be, you know, a family tradition that everybody ends up going to be a police officer in the family. Maybe you don't want to be a police officer. Or, you know what I mean? It, there are certain things that maybe my father owned a shoe company and he would expect me to own, you know, take on the business, but I'm not interested in shoes or whatever it is. So, there, yeah, there, there's a lot of traditions that get handed down, and it can be fear of um, disappointing family members. You know, you, you they've want, they've created this business and they're looking forward to you taking over and you really don't want to, but you don't want to let them down. So, there, yes, there's all kinds of issues that over, um, you know, they, they overlap. And sometimes assumptions were a big part of what people um, do or don't want to do because they think they're not going to want to do something. Like, it sounds boring or I'm not interested in that. I tried it when I was a kid and I didn't like it. Or, you know, there's all these assumptions that we make in our mind just based on past bad experiences doing something. So it, it was really fascinating to create the, my, the Curiosity Code Index, which is the assessment I created to, to measure these things, these four factors, the F-A-T-E that I mentioned. And, it, you know, I did a lot of factor analysis and, and analysis with statistical, you know, software to, to see what, you know, how well these questions align with these things. And it took me years to develop this instrument because I really think, we need to measure these things because right now you hear so much about the importance of engagement and productivity and innovation right now, especially with AI being such a big thing. And if right. you to be competitive in an innovative environment, you got to ask the questions about how do I fix this? Why isn't it working? And if you're not asking questions, you know, the blockbusters of the world, you know, are getting passed by by the Netflixes of the world. And you got to ask those questions. Well, that brings me to this question. Some people get stuck in that rut. Um, your curiosity code book is, is pretty much on time. Um, in the past, we had, you know, the K-12, through the middle, and the, you know, college, up through college. Do you believe that with not only technology but the world being as it is, do you think that um, our educational system and training such as yours, is going to have to be lifelong rather than just stopped after, you know, 16 years of school or 12 years of school or whatever. Do you yeah. think what we're doing now, it, it's, it's evidently not working <laughs> as well as it could. So, um, <laughs> well, everything what do you say improved. about that? Yeah, you know, right. I think you can prove anything, but I think that the educational system will probably change quite a bit. I think, you know, millennials are very interested in making an impact, younger generations like to get their bits and pieces of information in smaller amounts instead of, you know, larger, longer courses that, you know, were traditional. Sometimes they want to do it online. Maybe massive open online courses, MOOCs, you know, became popular to get people around the world who didn't have access. There's so many changes in education. I see 
things that I worry about, a couple things. I worry that if we change it too much, that we make it too a la carte, where people pick and choose what they want, that we may lose some of the humanities courses or the soft skills training or some of the glue that I think holds everything together. And I'd like to make sure mm-hmm. that we don't overlook those important things and just pick, oh, I just want X and not Y and then maybe a little bit of Z. You know what I mean? I, I think sometimes mm-hmm. when you get um, certain things, I don't want to say forced on you, but, you know, so, you know, suggested for you, that some of those things are the vegetables in your dinner that you kind of need, you know? <laughs> you wouldn't have picked right. if you had the choice. You'd go right to the ice cream, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Soft skills. Um, one of the things that um, I look at, uh, I, I know you've had some sales training and you have interpersonal skills and soft skills that you have to deal with and just dealing with individuals. And sometimes I, 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 I joke, uh, and it's not a joke, when you go to stores sometimes, some people just don't have those interpersonal skills to sell. They don't have that. And with online trainings and school saying, you know, you can, you know, go to school online, you can do everything online, um, that can be extremely problematic. Even though you might be able to buy your clothes or this or that, you're going to have to interact with human beings. Can you speak to that? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, I, you know, even if you're in online courses, there is, you know, an interactive component to online courses. Some of them have actual video, some of them don't, some of them are you know, uh, texting type of, uh, you know, more like a kind of a, how you would think on Facebook. Somebody makes a comment, somebody else adds a comment, but you're typing it. You know what I mean? It's kind of that way. But you still have to have uh, what we call netiquette, which is, you know, your your etiquette on the net. And we I've taught mm-hmm. a lot of first-year courses where um, I think I've taught everything from first-year courses through doctoral students. I was a, a doctoral chair for a long time, too. And at all levels, we talk, we talk about netiquette and tone and different um, things that come across in class. For example, we, we teach them right away. If you type ball and taps, that means you're yelling. And if you do certain things, it, it, it teaches, um, you know, there's a, there's a tone you gotta, you wanna maintain within the classroom. And so it, there is some of that being taught in online education. It's not like, it's strictly like anything goes. But, there's a lot of training about these things from a theoretical standpoint, just like in regular courses. The big, I mean, in regular courses, I mean, at ASU, I took a traditional, um, I had a traditional degree where you listen to, to lectures and you'd go home. You never interacted with the professor nearly as much in those courses as you do in an online course because they were on the stage in front of five, you know, 300 people and they're just lecturing at you. So that was no different than if I went to YouTube and listened to them now, really, if that's how I wanted to learn mm-hmm. that way. In an online course, I mean, I'm available to the student as simply as an email or, you know, a posting in class. And when I went to school in the 80s, it, you know, you had to make an appointment to see an instructor. It might be weeks before they'd see you. Mm-hmm. Everything's much more instantaneous. There's much more live interaction, I think, now than when I went. It's just different, and it takes a little bit of uh, getting used to, but most of the schools for which I've taught have training to explain how to have those soft skills and behave properly in a classroom where the students get, you know, they it's brought to their attention. Mm-hmm. You've been able to present 
in front of not only uh, major institutions, but Fortune 500 uh, executives, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, for the majority of us that work out there uh, with a job and aren't entrepreneurs, uh, they say 80% of people hate their jobs. And you wrote um, a book called It's Not You, It's Your Personality. I want you to get into t- talking directly to those individuals who hate their jobs. You, you say it's their personality and what you try to do is improve uh, relationships in the workplace. Can you speak to them? Well, uh, actually, the book, It's Not You, It's Your Personality, is about personality assessment, uh, different types of t- assessments you can use in the workplace, such as DISC and emotional intelligence tests and different things. And the intent of that book was to explain, um, you know, how to use those tools to better understand your coworkers and understand yourself. But as far as um, what... I, what I study in terms of how people aren't really maybe engaged at work, where we've got a, maybe a third mm-hmm. of the workplace engaged and the rest aren't, uh, that was, so that's something a little bit different than what I talked about in that book. And I think that the, the, what we're seeing with engagement issues is that a lot of maybe people are maybe not aligned really well, and that's what may, led to my interest in the curiosity component of my most recent mm-hmm. book, because if you're not really well aligned to your job or you don't know how your job even uh, connects with the overall goals of the organization and you're just doing something that is maybe not meant for you and nobody's talking to you about this or finding what you would be curious about or curious about what you'd rather be doing, you, a lot of people mm-hmm. are misaligned. And a lot of uh, millennials want to know more and younger generations, Gen Z, want to know you know, how what they're doing is matters. I mean, they want to make it the world a better place. And if they feel like they're just doing a job and that makes no sense to them of how it even matters, they, they sometimes just show up and don't really become engaged in their work. So there's a lot of factors. I think that a lot of it has to do with communication and finding out what people really are good at. And a lot of leaders just haven't spent the time to, to make sure people are aligned. Uh, aligned to the, the proper jobs and to find out what their goals and their interests and what their skill sets are. And that's why I uh, wanted to measure their level of curiosity to see, you know, are they even interested? What's holding them back is what I was looking at. And if if it is um, technology or, you know, something like that, you know, there's training. You can work on uh, figuring out how, how to give them the basics in certain areas. If it's assumptions that they wouldn't like something, and it, you do with discuss, you know, maybe what, what do you think of this? What has been your past experience with that? Maybe would you like to try this for a while? And just having those open conversations about where they want to go, what they do, and how it's important to the company, and it's so critical. I have a question that is based on um, a headline from the New York Times today. Uh, they are talking about uh, majority of not only baby boomers, but the silent generation before them, still in the workplace, now working alongside millennials. And I wanted you to talk to that because the reason why they're having to work, many of them didn't recover from 2008 and what mm-hmm. happened at, during that time, but also there's a lot of debt, uh, whether it be medical and there are others. So you now have a uh, silent generation and older baby boomers supporting younger generations of people. Some of them may even be millennials. Have you heard about that? 
Yeah, you know, it's a common topic. I actually give this talk to different groups. I spoke for Forbes um, about the future of the workplace and about the different generations working together, how we have more generations working than ever before. And uh, some of it is due to necessity. Some of it they just want to be working, you know, some people. And yeah. it, it, there, there's a disconnect because I think we're not developing a level of empathy sometimes, which is a big part of emotional intelligence. It, you you might be from one generation that may be an older generation that just can't relate to why you put a little smiley face after what you wrote, you know, because that was something that didn't happen in the workplace in the past. And, and we talk about looking at um, everything from other people's points of views because if you're only looking at it from your generation, you're missing so much that you could be getting from different generations' input. And I think that if you put um, mixed teams together, you you get the conflict sometimes of the different personalities, and I talk about this in my personality research, but you also get the um, just the richness of what multiple types of personalities and types and age groups can add to an overall product. I mean, just in the Myers-Briggs training, when you put people together, you would put people who are all alike in one team, and, and they would come up with a very boring product. If you give them, like, Legos and say, create something, it would come out just kind of normal, nothing interesting. But if you made that team out of diverse, interesting, you know, everybody different on the team, you'd have a much more interesting end product. And that's how it is in the workplace. So I think that a lot of it's misunderstandings of what's important. Some people haven't been educated on, you know, to know enough about each other, and that's all empathy about being able to put yourself in their their shoes and understand things from their perspective, and that's a lot of that is emotional intelligence training. I wanted you to, um, uh, one of the last couple questions to ask in this interview is, your new book, Curiosity Code, when is it coming out? Well, it should be out by the end of the year. Uh, we're uh, working on the Curiosity Code Index, which has been a really fun and very challenging thing to create, which it measures the factors that uh, impact curiosity. So I want to release them together. So as that's being coded, you know, you have to do all the HTM code and get all the reports and everything together. So that's in the last stages, along with the book, is in the last stages. And I'm going to launch them together. There are both uh, available. You can actually find out about the launch if you go to curiositycode.com and just put your name in and it'll notify you when it's coming out. But they'll, they'll come out together and we're going to have uh, the book will be available everywhere of course in bookstores and Amazon and everything but if they buy the book on my site they'll be able to take the uh, Curiosity Code Index as well which is really going to be so helpful to, to kind of gauge what it does is it'll give you an input on all of the factors that we talk about, the fear, assumptions, technology, and environment, and, it, and different aspects under each of those factors of what's holding people back from trying, you know, to learn different things. And it, it gives a whole bunch of um, content back, just like an emotional intelligence test would, you know, tell you this is how you develop this, this is how you develop that. But it also will give you a strategic plan and it won't be that different than what you'd see maybe doing a, a Gallup survey on engagement. You know, you, and you would go take this data and, and have a plan, maybe work with your manager or leader to, um, you know, where, where, where can we develop this, you know? And it's the kind of thing that you can mm -hmm. be given to individuals or entire organizations. And I think it'll be very 
much like the emotional intelligence test where the HR departments will want to get involved and and have the entire company take them. So it's going to be a big project, and I'm really excited for it. It sounds very exciting. Where can people reach you? Well, they can uh, reach me on my website, which is drdianehamilton.com. My radio show is drdianehamiltonradio.com, but you can get to it from my site. The, uh, the, everything's there. You can also reach me on social media sites as just Dr. Diane Hamilton. Awesome. This has been a great interview. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, well, it was so much fun, Sabrina Maria. It's fun to be on the other side of the interview for a change. You do a great job, and I love it being on your show. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much.